Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. Welcome to the first episode of Warming Signs. I want to take a second to introduce myself and this podcast. I've been a meteorologist for more than a dozen years, and you may have seen me standing out in a hurricane on the Weather Channel and thought, what is she doing? But trust me, that is my happy place. Just don't put me in a blizzard, please. Weather has always been my passion, but I also have a background in climate science, and I couldn't ignore the warming signs. This podcast is going to try to tackle Earth's most pressing environmental issues with expertise, a little humor, but also a little bit of hope. Which brings us to this first episode. If we're going to explore the complex relationship that we have with the environment around us, the first stop on this journey has to be answering one of the biggest environmental questions that plagues us. What is climate change. And who better to answer that question than Dr. Michael Mann? He's not just a Penn State professor. He happens to be one of the world's leading experts on climate change. He wrote the book on it. Several books, actually. So I wanted to ask him five questions on the basics of climate change. The goal being to give you confidence to be a part of the climate conversation with your colleagues, with your family, or if you're feeling really brave on social media. His answers will empower you. And some of them, like just how much humans are contributing to our planetary warming, may even shock you. Okay, kids, class is in session. Dr. Mann, thank you so much for taking the time to help educate us and make sure we're climate literate going into the outside world and our everyday lives. Thank you. Great to be with you. Of course. So um, if you were on an elevator with someone, this is question number one, and they asked, what is climate change? What would be your quick definition? Climate change is all of the changes in weather patterns uh, around the world, including the warming of the surface, uh, the shifting of ocean currents and air currents, increases in extreme weather, sea level rise, all of these attributes of how we are changing the climate by burning fossil fuels and increasing the concentration of so-called greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. It's warming up the planet, but it's creating all of these other changes, many of them quite detrimental in our climate. And how does that impact us? I mean, in our everyday lives. Well, you know, it used to be that when we talked about climate change, uh, we would speak of it in sort of far off terms. You know, it's about polar bears up in the Arctic decades from now. What's going to happen to sea ice uh, in the future? What's going to happen uh, to weather patterns in the future? But the thing is, we are now seeing the impacts of climate change play out in real time. They are no longer subtle. Uh, when it comes to the flooding of our coastlines and unprecedented wildfires, droughts, heat waves, and floods, we are seeing the impacts of climate change now play out in our daily lives on our television screens, in our newspaper headlines, in our social media feeds. Climate change is here. Question number two. Why do I hear it called climate change instead of global warming these days? Yeah. And, you know, there's a, a lot of misinformation about that out there, um, because I know there was a memo uh, back in, I think it was 2002, 
uh, where uh, Frank Luntz, who was a pollster, was advising his clients, fossil fuel uh, interests, uh, uh, how to sort of change the language uh, to make climate change seem like less of a threat. Uh, uh, this was uh, his message to fossil fuel interests who didn't want to see their emissions regulated. And what he said was you need to sort of change the, the language, you need to make it sound like there's a real scientific debate when there's not. And moreover, he said you should use the term climate change rather than global warming because it sounds less threatening. Now, what's ironic is that we scientists prefer to use the term climate change, not because it sounds less or more alarming, but because it's a better description of what we're talking about. We're not just talking about the warming of surface temperatures or the warming of the oceans. We're talking about the melting of ice, the flooding of our coastlines, shifting ocean currents and wind patterns and increases in extreme weather like the unprecedented uh, hurricanes we've seen in recent years, typhoons, wildfires, floods, droughts. Uh, we prefer the term climate change because it collectively describes all of those attributes of how we are changing Earth's climate system. I, you taught me something. I, I'm, I'm so surprised to hear that the term climate change actually came about as a part of a disinformation rather than, because yeah. from the, from the scientist point of view, that's, I mean, I look at it, and I'm like, yes, it's a, it's a climate change, not just global warming, but I had no idea that history. It, no, it's, it's fascinating. And it, it actually sort of, um, dispels one of the myths, uh, my colleagues and I, uh, climate scientists, were often uh, accused of being alarmists, of overstating the evidence, when in fact we've tended to underestimate the changes that are now already taking place. Our, our projections have in general been too conservative. But here's the thing, if we were really alarmists, if we really went to alarm the, the public, then according to the Republican pollster, Frank Luntz, we would be using the term global warming rather than climate change. Why are we using the term climate change? because it's a better description of what we're talking about. And that's what's most important to us. So we're getting all kinds of information that's helping everybody be able to have these conversations in their everyday yeah. lives. And one of the things that just always sticks out, and this is my third question, is yeah. <laughs> we, we know <clears throat> that when it's cold outside, we're going to see a snowball in Congress or something else along those <laughs> lines. So it's cold outside today. Where's my global warming? Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, it's dark tonight, where's my son? <laughs> I mean, the, you know, the, the, <laughs> that's a good one. You know, we have a day and night, um, and we have weather. We have large random fluctuations in weather patterns and temperatures and rainfall and snow uh, patterns from day to day. Um, it's just part of the random behavior of uh, our uh, Earth system, uh, the atmosphere and the climate system. Now, the fact is that if you step back and look uh, at collectively um, all of the records, uh, the, uh, records for all-time warmth and all-time cold, and you look around the entire country and you tabulate how they're changing over time, we are now seeing all-time records for warmth occur at more than twice the rate of records for cold, which is what we would expect as we continue to warm the planet. So we're still going to see weather extremes on both sides, but they are shifting. We are, in essence, loading the dice towards more of those uh, warm weather extremes. And that ratio of two times as many hot records as cold records 
um, is like um, taking a die and uh, erasing the five and replacing it with a six. And now you roll that die and sixes come up twice as often as they should. Um, not one in six rolls, but now one in three rolls. Well, that's essentially how we've loaded the dice towards more extreme heat. And even though we have seen um, some cold weather this winter and last win winter, and there's an interesting discussion, by the way, about whether climate change might be altering the so-called polar vortex in a way that counterintuitively actually allows some of those very cold Arctic uh, air masses to slip down into the United States and Europe in the winter. There's a possibility that climate change is actually creating conditions that make those cold air outbreaks uh, more prevalent. And there's a healthy debate within the scientific community about whether that's happening or not. But overall, what we're clearly seeing is a shifting towards more heat extremes. Uh, all time records for, for uh, uh, warmth uh, were broke, broken around the United States last summer with uh, this latest cold snap. People have been talking about how cold this frigid Arctic air mass is, but very few, if any, all time records are going to be broken. It's going to be what we call an old fashioned winter, which is to say the sort of cold that used to happen all the time in the 1970s. And it feels like extreme cold now because it's so rare. That's right, kids. Back in my day, we actually had a winter. Which brings me to our recurring segment, Y'all Need Some Science, where we introduce middle school science to those who obviously slept through it. For someone in their 70s, you would think President Trump would remember the winters of his youth. And yet, this is what he tweeted out with our latest cold blast. In the beautiful Midwest, wind chill temperatures are reaching minus 60 degrees, the coldest ever recorded. In coming days, expected to get even colder. People can't last outside even for minutes. What the hell is going on with global warming? Please come back fast. We need you. Okay, yeah, it was cold. We had 160 cold records broken in the U.S. And sadly, people died from the cold. This isn't something I personally would be downplaying in a snarky tweet, but I digress. The U.S. makes up 2% of the Earth. 2%! Just because it's cold here doesn't mean the whole planet is cold. And there's a reason it's called global warming and not just United States warming. So how about a little perspective, Mr. President? In the last 30 days around the globe, we set 649 cold records. But... We set 1,529 heat records, almost two and a half times as many. So the next time Twitter gets a little cold, just remember that we are a part of a much larger picture and y'all need some science. And speaking of those Twitter trolls, let's get back to our questions for Dr. Mann. You're super active on social media. You're a great Twitter follower. If no one's following Dr. Michael Mann on Twitter, do it now. Um, but one of my favorite things is because we kind of have similar trolls in our comments um, is, you know, I put out my yearly reminder, weather is not climate. Anytime we get these big cold snaps. Yeah. And I kind of get those retorts like, well, then you better say that anytime it's hot. And I try and point to exactly what you <laughs> were saying here yeah. is like, okay, but look at how much more often we're having these heat events. Is it difficult for us to attribute an event while it's going on specifically to climate change versus just, you know, this is weather? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and by the way, folks, I'm 
at Michael E. Mann <laughs> at Twitter. And I uh, uh, always, uh, always enjoy uh, interacting with folks through that medium. So, yeah, you know, we're, we're starting to change uh, the way we talk about these events because of the way that the science has developed. Uh, we can now uh, do what's known as uh, attribution of uh, some of these extreme weather events, which is to say we can actually speak with some level of confidence about how climate change increased the likelihood of a specific event like a Hurricane Harvey or Florence, or the California wildfires, or any number of extreme weather events. And here's how we do it. Um, we can take our climate models, which are very comprehensive models that do a remarkable job now reproducing uh, the observed features of our, our climate and, and making successful predictions. There's reason to take these models uh, very seriously. Uh, they've come a long ways since um, a couple decades ago when I first uh, came into this field. And we can take those climate models and we can do two different experiments. We can do a counterfactual experiment where we keep the concentration of carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases at their pre-industrial levels. We don't include the human effect of increasing greenhouse gas concentrations. Then we can run the same model with that human-generated increase in greenhouse ga gas concentrations, and we can tabulate how often particular types of weather events happen in these models. And we can see how much more often a particular event happens in the anthropogenic or the human-altered climate simulations versus the control sort of counterfactual, no human alteration simulations. And if that event happens you know, twice as often or three times as often in the simulations that include the human impact of increasing greenhouse gas concentrations, then yeah, we can start to say that climate change made this two times or three times as likely. And we see those studies now doing, uh, being done almost in real time you know, fast enough that you can get, you know, feedback on uh, whether or not that uh, event was likely to have been impacted by climate change within a matter of days, um, sometimes as these extended events are playing out. And that's what happened, for example, with the European heat wave this summer, where one of those attribution studies was done as the event was happening. And while it was still going on, they were able to say, yeah, you know, climate change uh, likely doubled uh, the, constant, the, the likelihood of that event. How do we know that this is caused by humans? Well, again, for, for example, with these extreme uh, weather events that we've seen, we can quantify using uh, climate models and using observations. We can quantify how climate change has uh, increased the, the likelihood of certain types of events. And, and we can show with a great degree of confidence that we simply would not be able to explain uh, the record heat that we have seen um, over the last uh, several decades without the role of the human-caused increase in greenhouse gas concentrations from fossil fuel burning and other activities. Uh, again, we can use the climate models uh, to do sorts of uh, what you might think of as uh, CSI-type experiments, whodunit mystery uh, solving, where we can actually look for a fingerprint. We can look at a certain pattern of change. We could look at the vertical pattern of how temperatures have changed in the atmosphere, for example. And it turns out that if we're, we're natural factors that were responsible for the warming of the surface, um, like the sun, a common refrain from climate change contrarians is, it's the sun. Well, actually, solar output, if anything, has slightly declined in recent decades. So if it were natural factors alone that were driving the climate system, primarily solar output changes 
that take place on timescales of decades and longer, small but measurable changes in the heating by the sun, and uh, volcanic eruptions, which can cool uh, the global climate for several years when they when they happen. And you can put those natural factors into the climate models. And if you drive the climate models just with those natural factors, it turns out the earth should have slightly cooled over the last half century rather than warmed. So when people say maybe it's natural factors that are responsible for the warming, the reality is that we warmed despite a small natural trend, a temporary natural trend that was acting in the opposite direction. And so when people ask, you know, how much of the warming are we responsible for? The correct answer, believe it or not, is more than 100%. How can we, as consumers of information in a vast, you know, internet age where you can get information yeah. from anywhere, determine what is fact, what is fiction, or what is just flat out false? Yeah, it's a great question. It's so difficult today in the, the wild west of the internet where anything goes and you know, if you Google a term like climate change or global warming, who knows what, you know, websites are going to come up. And it can be difficult to sort of navigate that if you're just sort of an innocent bystander who doesn't really know, you know, what uh, the qualifications might be of, you know, various sources of information. So one thing you can do is be skeptical if it's a media outlet that you've never heard of, <laughs> um, because there's a good chance it's not a legitimate media outlet. It's a website trying to pose as a media outlet to fool you. It's literally fake news. Mainstream media outlets will typically give you mainstream scientific information. You can usually by and large, trust what you're getting from those outlets. So go to the mainstream outlets. Don't believe what you read on some website you've never heard of. Um, and finally, there are some wonderful resources out there. Of course, Weather Channel being uh, uh, primary among them. Uh, Why, thank you. <laughs> well, I'm telling the truth, as your viewers know, um, a great source of information. You guys have done a wonderful job in in, in talking about climate change and, and sort of bringing it into the context of, uh, of weather and climate and understanding the distinctions between these things. And uh, there are uh, lots of resources out there. One of my favorites is a website called skepticalscience.com. Oh, it's, it's so good. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful <laughs> site. And it's, um, it's, it's, uh, moderated. It's basically run by a group of, of scientists who, you know, actually uh, draw upon the scientific literature, but they sort of boil it down for popular consumption. So it's very readable. The, their, their materials are very accessible uh, to anybody. You don't need a background in science. And, and one of the things I like uh, most about their website is that they have this list of the hundred plus uh, leading contrarian myths and talking points like, well, it's cold outside, so there can't be global warming. All of those talking points that you hear uh, from climate change contrarians and climate change deniers, and it has the response, what the actual science says for each of them at the introductory, intermediate, and advanced level. A huge thank you to Dr. Michael Mann for helping us with this inaugural episode of Warming Signs. I hope that this will be a dialogue between you and I. I want you to tweet at me, at WeatherKate. It's spelled weird, K-A-I-T, at Weather, K-A-I-T on Twitter. Let's have a conversation about the things that you heard here or ideas or questions that you may have for a future podcast. 
And don't forget to subscribe because I'm going to have new episodes for you every Tuesday. Yes, brand new content in the middle of the week when you need it most because you already binged everything over the weekend. And let me tell you what, this would not be possible without the incredible set of producers that we have working on this. Mia Bichak, Dan Wright, and Jim Robinson, among others, have just really made this come to life. And I can't thank them enough because they are the life behind this podcast. See you next week. Bye.